is uh, one of the things that we want to continue to do as we talk about vision and living into our vision as a church is, is bring into life some of how we see this spiritual formation and this pattern being built in people's lives. And it's not about any one of us, uh, and, but we want to continue to do is share stories about that hap- how that's happening. So you'll see more of that as we continue to move forward. I'd like you to flip to 1 Peter if you have a copy of God's Word. If you don't, um, get an app on your phone or grab a Bible at the Life at Home Center. Uh, We'll put uh, some of the scripture on the screen, but it's always uh, good to have a copy of God's Word as we dig in it throughout the week, uh, not just on Sunday morning. Uh, As I talked about here, we're going to take a look at this uh, part of this final chapter. one of the things I want to remind us of is that as we look at this, remember that we've been in First Peter as we continue to think about this, this theme of become. And it's all about understanding our identity in Christ. doesn't mean that we are not living that, but it means that we need to continue to be reminded. We need to be, continue to uh, be encouraged to take our next step in growing in Jesus Christ. And so because of that, we've been studying First Peter Peter, all over the place, has been talking about who we are, who the church is, uh, as, as collectively, but also as he's speaking to all of these churches in Asia Minor, some of which he started, he is just uh, exhorting. He is not just commanding, but he's encouraging, he's lifting them up and reminding them, saying, this is who you are in Jesus Christ. So what he does as we come into this final part of First Peter is he begins to speak to specifically again a group. If you remember, Pastor Josh preached on the passage as he was talking about husbands and wives. He also spoke to people who were slaves or employees. And he talked about how we submit. Well, specifically here, he's addressing early on the elders. So let's take a look in chapter 5, verse 1. This will be on the screen. To the elders among you. I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory That will never fade away. Verse 5. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. The first verse here in this chapter Peter is identifying, he is connecting with the fellow elders. Remember, Peter, in his time with Jesus on earth, um, uh, after uh, Peter made the the confession that Jesus, you are are the Christ, the Son of the living God, is that uh, Jesus said to him, on you I will build this church. So Peter, right in that moment, began to understand Um, a little bit, but more fully, and we see kind of taking full circle, because in the early church, Peter was an elder. He was one who was planting churches, beginning um, this ministry of churches in all the different areas, including Asia Minor. And so Peter starts out and says, 
to my fellow elders. Now this is important because as he's speaking to the churches and to the elders, it's kind of like, for example, my wife Susan is a nurse. She's working today. That's why she's not in worship. And if I've been around nurses a lot, okay? I have a wife and a daughter who's a nurse. I have a niece who's a nurse. So there's lots in the family. I could speak to nursing. I've had nurses. But for me to go to my wife and say, or another nurse and say, you know, this is really how you should do nursing in this particular capacity. It doesn't mean that I don't have any idea about it. But it would be very different if a fellow nurse, particularly a nurse who has, was older and had more experience in nursing, to say to my wife Susan, let me tell you as a fellow nurse, this is what I see happening in nursing. It has a different feel to it. It has a different ring because you know it's someone, as I will say again, who's kind of been in the trenches. They've done the work. They've had the experience. They have the skill. This is what uh, Peter is saying to the elders. So this is not a guy who has no idea what it means to be an elder in a church, a leader in a church. And he says, what I want you to know is that I've been there. I'm actually still an elder among churches. But here's the really cool thing about Peter. He acknowledges in, in saying he's an elder and recognizing the sufferings that the church is currently going through in that time. This is a guy who has sinned. This is a guy who has repented. This is a guy who has been restored. This is the same guy we know of all of his failings as we read in the Gospels where he just continued to blow it again and again. But yet he sought God and God restored him. And that's very powerful, particularly as we look to elders here in our church. The men who serve as elders in this church are not men who are perfect. Every one of them will tell you that. They are men, though, who can claim the restoration of Jesus Christ in their life. And also in accepting what is a God-ordained responsibility. The role of elder, the word here, really the base of this word is all about someone who is older. We use that in the common, the vernacular, to say someone who's older. They're an elder. Okay, my dad, he would be an elder to me. So there's a common use of that. In the church, it takes on a bit of a fuller meaning. Because elder here also has to do with role and responsibility in the church. It's not about power and position, which Peter will talk about, remind the elders of. But what it is about is understanding that church... Churches, people, groups need not only organization, but they need direction. Ultimately, that comes from God. But humanly, we need people to help us with that, to guide us along. And so elders, as Peter speaks here, were often church officers. They provided supervision, protection, discipline, instruction, and direction, which is where our elders serve in this church. It's a very common practice. I want us to take a look at Titus chapter 1. And you also see this in Acts. You'll see it in 1 Timothy. But I want to point out a couple of things in these verses. Paul says, The reason I left you in Crete, which is an island, was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town. You see, for the church to be effective as people of God come together, just like Moses leading the Israelites out of Egypt, they need leaders. And those leaders are servant leaders. 
They are not people who go after a position, go after a title. They should not. They are people who actually are, first of all, submitting themselves to Jesus Christ and then serving on behalf of the church. We'll talk a little bit more of what that looks like, but I want to move on down to verse 9. There are some qualifications in here in those uh, middle verses. But in verse 9, Paul says, He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught, so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. So again, as you think of an elder, thinking about an elder at ECOB very much has this idea of protection and encouragement. It's a part of their role. I think if there's a big understanding in our church and what it's been is that the elders are just about business. Well, I will share with you a little bit about my own philosophy and theology on business in the church. I think it's all spiritual. I don't think you can create a distinction. There are business-like things that we do. We decide on budgets and money spent and facility usage and all those things. And you're saying, okay, Dan, why are you telling us all of this? Yeah, Peter's talking about why is it important. Here's why it's important. We need people to provide spiritual oversight for all of us. Everybody needs that in their life. We talked about it many a times. The walk of a Christian is not the walk of a lone ranger. And if it is so, then you are not submitting as Jesus submitted. And so in that, the role of an elder, you will see in our membership covenant, many of you have seen this and signed it, there is a section about the obligation of Eaton Church of the Brethren to its members. And basically what that means, and it lists out scripturally, is it speaks to the scriptural oversight spiritually that elders provide. And as elders, that is built on relationship. It's not merely um, making sure a set of rules are followed. Pray over these men. Encourage them. They give so much in this role to serve God and to serve you. And I would encourage you that if you don't know a lot about what it means to be an elder, whether you ever become an elder or not, I would encourage you to have conversations with these men and understand their love for you, their love for God's church. Because it does require energy and time. But it's calling. It's a calling to lead the church. So let's talk a little bit about what that looks like. If we go into verse 2, we see this phrase, be shepherds of God's flock. Now you may think that Peter's just, uh, in writing this, it could be easy to think, well, he's just kind of using some little illustration because there were a lot of shepherds in that day and it kind of fit well. Let's go back in the book of John in verse 21. Or excuse me, chapter 21, verse 16. There is this setting after Jesus was, was, uh, was persecuted, he was crucified, he died, he rose again, and then he meets the disciples, including Peter, having breakfast on the shore. And if you remember, Peter has denied Jesus three times before Jesus was crucified. And so you imagine, even though Jesus said, you will see me again, Peter was a little nervous about that interaction. (laughs) The last memory Jesus has of me is denying him. And so there's this setting on the beach. 
And they sit down. And of course, Peter's just overjoyed. Jesus has rose from the dead. And then Jesus says to him, Peter, do you love me? Peter's like, oh, Jesus, I love you. And then Jesus asked again, which is this verse right here. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And if you study this passage, the three times Jesus asked, he uses some different verbiage in there. This one here, Jesus said, take care of my sheep, is the same is the same word that Peter is using here as he is speaking to other elders. This is not a guy who doesn't know what it means to take care of sheep. He was told by Jesus himself on this earth. He's been living that out to the best of his ability. And so he says to all these elders in these churches, be shepherds of God's flock. It's not your flock, it's God's flock. But a shepherd is one who cares for. It it is this image of this gathering, making sure that they don't go astray. And again, how we respond to that as leaders in our church is so important because There's a part of submission that Peter is communicating, not only to the elders, but to the church. You know, flock brings to image this mind of a caregiver. You know, uh, uh, while sheep sometimes can be a little hard to herd, okay, you don't typically see uh, a good shepherd walking around beating their sheep to death, right? Okay, yeah, they're going to poke them here and there, and they're going to get them where they need to go. But it's all to protect and care and tend to them. Peter says, elders, care and tend to the flock. At ECOB, what this means is that the men who are called to be elders pray over you. They make decisions that are not about pleasing themselves or an agenda they have. It is about what God is leading us in. I've said to people before about our elders is that sometimes people think that their work in a meeting is really the bulk of their work. That is the smallest part of their work. Their ministry to God and to the church goes well beyond just a meeting because there's prayer. There is there's much work and discernment leading into that. And so I want to encourage us And remind us that it's important for us to know that God has appointed leaders in this church. And I understand completely. Some of you have come from churches. People have left this church because they felt like that leadership has been abused. What I can tell you is there's a reality of that in this central world we live in. But what I can say about these seven men serving right now is their heart and desire. Particularly with what we're walking through as a church Everything from staffing changes to a denomination that we don't find ourselves aligned with to you name it. These men have had every reason to walk away and say, no, it's too much. Yet they've served. And they've served faithfully. Not perfectly. But I implore you to lift them up and pray for them. Because it is your souls and the souls of others that they are caring and tending for. It's part of the reason we do a conversation with the elders. Because they want you to know how they walk through things. It's the reason we have an elder on duty every Sunday morning 
there is at least one elder on duty. They are there to listen and hear and care for you. It's the reason you'll see elders at this altar often. Because you are their flock. And they're caring for you and loving you. And so I encourage you that as you commit to this life as a Christ follower and as you commit to be a part of this body is that you commit to what God has placed in terms of leadership. And I say that leading into this next section because Peter gives every elder a gut check. He says, be willing, be eager to serve phrases. And then he says, don't pursue, uh, uh, do not pursue dishonest gain and don't lord it over those entrusted to you. There's a lot in, this, in these phrases here. And basically what he's saying is that this is about what you give as a servant to Jesus Christ. It's not about what you're getting. That's as an elder what you should do. You shouldn't use this position for any agenda of your own. You shouldn't use this position to seek any gain. See, in this culture, often what would happen and what infiltrated into the church at that time is that there were men who were wanting to advance their own position in the culture. And so what better than to be a part of the church and to make myself an elder, You don't make yourself an elder. You prepare your heart and your soul and you listen for God's calling. That's how you become an elder. As we pray through it, as we work through it, we look for affirmation from this congregation. It's important for you to know that because it is all about serving, not about their own benefit. But every one of them will tell you how God has used that to teach them and grow them. You know, we pastors serve as elders as well. We're not teaching elders, but technically, as in in a part of a church that it has an eldership, is that we are elders as well. So saying that, I know this could sound a little self-serving. That's not what I intended to be at all. But I will tell you, as I speak of our other elders, I say to you that these are men that are serving, and they're serving elsewhere. Every elder is serving somewhere else in ministry which really is beyond expectation. But what they know in that, you'll see them up here as a part of worship. You'll see them as a part of everything from property team, caring for a facility. You will see them uh, in men's ministry. You will see them across the board in different ministries, teaching. He says this, become an example is literally what it means here as he talks about it. And what that really gets to is this idea of us as a church in being accountable. Part of the role of leaders is to provide accountability. Now I know leaders or elders in this church will not know every one of us individually or even personally. But there's a model here that Peter starts to work through and he'll move it to the entire church in a moment. And that model is an accountability. In other words, we need examples. The, the word here is all about setting a pattern. Setting a pattern. Those of you who do woodworking, now I know there's people in here that you can whip something up without any pattern. But when you're learning how to woodwork, do woodwork or do crafts or so on, there's patterns that you follow and that helps you take steps in your growth. It's the same way in being a disciple of Jesus Christ. So these men know, our elders know that you all are looking. You want to see an example, not of perfection, 
But especially like in Peter's case, when there is failure, is there's an acknowledgement of that. There's repentance from the sin. Every discerning decision these elders make, they know the weight that is carried with that. But here is what Peter gets to. He says, be reminded, he says this in verse 4, when the chief shepherd appears. Who's he talking about? Jesus. Our chief shepherd. If you look in John 10, 14. This is a section of scripture where Jesus has just said, the thief, referring to Satan, the devil, the thief comes in verse 10 of chapter 10. Chapter 10, verse 10 says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come to bring you life. And then just a little bit later, he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. You see, as your elders serve They are looking at the chief shepherd. We talk about that a lot. As we study God's word together. As we look at the challenges of being a church in this culture. We realize we are utterly dependent on the chief shepherd to lead us. And so the model there is even as we follow our shepherds. We are looking to the chief shepherd. Aligning our our wills, our spirits with him. Here's what I think is interesting. Our response to God ordained and appointed leaders in our own church can often be reflective of our response to the chief shepherd. In other words, if we struggle that much to respond to leaders that God has called in our church, how much harder, what does it say, I should say, to how we follow the chief shepherd versus those appointed And again, this does not mean that there's not accountability. These men hold each other in deep accountability. They challenge one another on a regular basis. I want to go into the final part of this passage because Peter has built into this section and he begins to pull the rest of the church in. He says, in the same way, you who are younger. Again, the idea here, some of it has to do with age More of it is about other ministry positions in the church that structurally are subordinate. It doesn't mean that they're less valuable. They have different responsibility. Often here is thought of something like deacons in the early church. Those who are caring in a different way. And what Peter says, and he builds what is called a reciprocal relationship. And he says, as they serve you, the elders to the youngers, you Look to them and submit yourselves. Because they are submitting to the chief shepherd. And there becomes this reciprocal relationship in God working together to focus us and clarify us. When we submit, so other ministry leaders as we submit, the church as we submit, what we are doing is we are saying, I accept accountability into my life. The next passage here, he says, all of you clothe yourselves in humility. Now, I I didn't bring a sweater in with me, but there is a word here for clothe that has this meaning of doing more than just wearing something. Women, girls, a lot of times you may find yourself taking a sweater and just laying it on your shoulders when you're cold. 
You're wearing that in some meaning, but it's more of a draping on you. The word here means that you don't drape humility. In other words, you just don't carry it around and wear it and claim it. What you do actually is you put humility on like putting a sweater on and actually fastening the sweater. A reference to this is back when Jesus was washing the disciples' feet. And if you remember the phrase, he says, it says, Jesus girded up his loins. And what he did is he secured his garment so that it would not be taken off as he was serving. Think about that. If you and I, you and I, we, not just leaders, but all of us in God's church, if we gird ourselves, if we clothe ourselves with humility in such a way where it's not something we just carry around and drape over ourselves, we actually fasten it and secure it. It becomes a part of our identity as Christians. What happens as we serve in the midst of suffering, in the midst of persecution, in the midst of anything else, guess what? Humility will not just be plucked off of us. They won't be able to take us off us. Which is what servant leaders, what servants should do, right? So he says now to the entire church, look at the language there. It says all. He, he has moved from elders now to everybody in the church. All of you clothe yourselves with humility. Which leads us through the rest of this passage. Because God opposes the proud, shows favor, grace, to the humble. And then he says humble yourselves under God's mighty hand. This idea of casting. Is this idea of not. Of, of our entire selves. All that we are. All of our cares and worries laying them down. Look at Matthew 6.25. Rings a bell. Jesus says therefore I tell you. Do not worry about your life. Or what you will eat or drink. Or about your body. What you will wear. Is life, not life, more than food and the body more than clothes. This is back in Jesus' early teachings on the earth. Humility. It's a great reminder for our elders. It's a great reminder for us. Because you know what stands in the way of us being accountable to one another? Pride. Pride. Well, I... That's my business, not your business, we say. Okay, you're messing, you're getting in. And I realize relationship is a big part of this. But I, I will tell you that as God continues to lead us as a church, this is a church where we are committed to one another. This is a church that doesn't do that perfectly. If you haven't find that, found that out, you'll find that out. But we seek to commit ourselves in humility. And what that means is that we are not going to be rogue Christians. We are not going to walk this walk by ourselves. Because frankly, I can't see in scripture where an independent Christian is a Christian. We walk together. That's why all the verses on one another. And in doing that, what do we have to do? We have to lay our pride down. It doesn't mean that everybody knows everything about you. But let me ask you now. Do you have someone in your life that you have given permission to to speak truth? And if your personality requires it, to do it with some energy. <laughs> I've told your elders, as a fellow elder, what I, one of the things I expect of them, and they do this. 
I said, if I'm preaching the word of God and I, I lead us astray, even if it's unintentionally, I expect you to call me on it. See, it's not about me. It's not about me saving face. If I have to get up and apologize because I misinterpreted and, and led you astray, then I need to do that. I hope I never have to. But every one of these elders know that I am accountable. I have to be. That's why they review me every year and tell me as they hear from you, as they talk with you. It's why at elder meetings they challenge one another. They're setting the example, church. We have to have that with others. So if you don't have someone who you're accountable to, somebody you have a relationship with, and that they know you and you can speak to them, if you don't, what I would say is start with Jesus. Cast all your care on him. And then pray for the opportunity for someone to play that role in your life and give them permission. Don't just assume it. I'm, I'm convinced more and more the longer I walk this walk is that we can't just assume, well, we're good friends. They'll tell me if they want me. You know what? We're afraid, aren't we? Because if I say that, then, well, who knows what they're going to point out in my life. <laughs> Yeah, there's the rub. Hurts. It's not real fun. But oh my gosh, what God will do with that. What God will do with that. And Peter understood it. He understood that this relationship between humility and accountability was incredibly crucial. As I close today, I want to go back to our vision statement. If you're tired of hearing it, it means we're getting close to it sticking. That's good. I had the question this week. It says by 2026. Does that mean we're not doing anything till then? No. We're living into it. We're growing into it. See the pattern? The pattern of spiritual formation is what we're building. It's not that we've never done it before, but we want incredible clarity and focus on this. We have to do that together. We have to embody it. But this spiritual formation, in the coming weeks, we're going to be talking about how we take a look at where we are individually and collectively as a church. And we're going to ask you to do something with that. Guess what that means? You're going to have to practice humility. Because, well, wait a minute. I don't want everybody knowing about me. I know that's tough. But consider it how God wants to strengthen you and grow you in your life. Consider how he wants to further advance the gospel in the entire world. And so as we continue to follow a pattern of spiritual formation, it becomes focus on the fact that we should be growing in our relationship with Jesus. And one of the ways to grow, church, is to be accountable. Be accountable. Build that relationship. Follow the model of your leaders. Because in that, sharing life and sharing Christ will blossom and bloom into things you've never imagined. See, we think when we have to give something of ourselves, we're losing. Nah, not in Jesus. In Jesus, everything we give of ourselves is a gain. It may not be a gain on this earth, but in Jesus, it is a gain eternally. That's what we got to remember. That's what we got to remember. Dick Mitchell, Stan Hicks, Mike Cobb, 
George Glaze, Bob Jones, Ron Roth, and Walt Walker. Those are your elders, as well as your pastors, our elders. Pray. Get to know them. Encourage them. If you're struggling with something to understand where we're headed as a church, or even in your own life as a follower of Jesus, pull them aside and have a conversation. That's the role they've accepted. And I will tell you, every one of these men, they've done everything they can to ready themselves for that role. No strong, healthy church exists without strong, healthy leaders. Some of you younger men, I pray that you begin to build a pattern in new ways. You one day may be our elders. Don't wait till you have a title. If you wait till you have a title, then you're at it for the wrong reason. But learn how to follow God in every step. In church, Let's be accountable. Father God, as we close together in worship, I would ask that you would continue to build life into this church with our strong history of many who have gone before and set examples for us that we talk about some 20, 30, 40, even 50 years ago. Thank you for them. God, we will continue to build a legacy of faith, not so that our church gets recognition, but that people come into your kingdom. Lord, use us in all of that. Help us to not be afraid, but to cast all of our worries and our cares before you as we learn how to lay aside our pride and be humble with one another. And God, in that, what we know is that your eternal promises some that begin here but last for eternity will come alive in us. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.